from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Content warning. This podcast discusses violence, murder, suicide, civil unrest, aggressive policing, racism, and lynching. If you or anyone you know is considering suicide or self-harm or just need to talk about problems, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. It was October 16th, 2018. Then I decided to lay down in the spare bedroom. Danye was in the kitchen having a discussion with his uncle, Danny. I ended up having a crazy dream about a panther. And the panther was pulling on my hand, holding on my hand and arms. And we were trying to hold each other. And um, I woke up to my arm and hands throbbing. It hurt so bad. And the dream, the, the dream, it, it alarmed me. It scared me so bad that I decided to call my husband, Derek, at work. He finally walked in the door 
which was probably 30 to 40 minutes later. When he comes in, he notices the lights are on in the basement. I'm the type of mother where I'm very specific about leaving the power on because I know that it runs the bill up. Knowing that it was odd that the lights were still on in the basement. Derek, he yells down for Danye, and there was no answer. And he says, Danye's not down there. So I'm like, what? I run downstairs myself, and I didn't see Danye, but I saw the brick by his sleeping area. And so I get alarmed, like, wait a minute, what is this brick? And I run up the steps to see if Danye was outside or something. And I open up the, the porch door and something tells me to just look around. My attention was drawn over to the left side of the yard and I see my chair on the ground and I start walking slowly um, and I some, there, there was a light it must have been the sun shining down just rising and I see um, some legs Did she say what was wrong at all? She was saying my baby. You hear her talk to me. Ma'am. Hello. Can you tell me what's going on? My baby, you can't get what was there. Okay, how old, how old is, is the person? Aftermath of the grand jury deciding not to indict Officer Wilson. A young man found hanging from a tree in October. His mom believes someone murdered her son, targeting him. Danye became an activist in the wake of the shooting death of Michael Brown by a white police officer. That's why Melissa McKinnis wants St. Louis County Police to dig deeper 
to her son's death. He was not suicidal. This is After the Uprising, the death of Donye Dion Jones. And um, in my head, I was just trying to figure out, why would he do this? It made no sense. Why would he do this? As if he would answer, or somebody would answer, you know. But um, for the life of me, I just could not figure out how my son, who I had just seen before I went to sleep, that was in good spirits, that was so excited about going somewhere, and how can he go from that to hanging from a tree in the backyard for me to find him like that? I was lost. My brother and, and Derek especially was like, it didn't even look right. It was suspect. See, she was, she was t- telling us to cut it down. Some of that time period, I was taking, I was trying to find the flash on the phone, the flashlight, because it was in the dark. I took like seven pictures. So that's why, I, that's why I hesitated so much. I'm like, what more do I need to tell you? Anything else is like, that, that, that can happen after then. You hear what I'm saying? It didn't look right. You know, everything that didn't look right, so... You know, he said, let's take pictures. You, know, you can't undo pictures. You know, uh, everything that was, that, that was there was shorts down, is, you know, the, 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 the sheet and everything. You know. As I looked out the window, the back window, to see what they were doing to my son. I do remember looking, looking back there and they pulled me away from the, the, the police pulled me away from the window and so I start looking out the front and I see a detective which was the lead detective in the case and I remember him because he had the black eye he was laughing and it irritated me it ir- irritated me so badly that I asked the officers that were inside it, it was a f- black female officer and a black male officer. Um, I said, is this what you guys do? You find this funny? You think that this is cool to be laughing at the scene while my son is out there laying dead? I, I ran to the back window again and I saw some officers laughing again. But by this time, the black officer, the female officer grabbed me and they had me sit on the couch. They said that I couldn't look back there and I said I didn't understand why. Do you remember the anything that struck you about the lead detective with the black eye? Very nonchalant. Almost as if he wanted to hurry up and get through this. Like he did not care. It was more like we were wasting his time. Like he had somewhere to be. Almost as if my son wasn't dead. Did you get the impression he knew who you were? Yes. And the reason why is because he was nasty. He was nasty more towards me than anybody. It, and, and the crazy part is right after seeing me out in the front on the porch screaming and punching and fighting, he was laughing. He, as soon as I went in the house, he's, he's laughing. 
It was almost as if he couldn't stop. My neighbors saw. My family saw. It was almost like a taunting because you can kind of like find something funny one moment and ugh, it, it, it came out. But to continue to do it, knowing that it, it affected me, it made us have to really look into who was this detective. So this is a boisterous laugh. Yeah. Big laugh. Yes. I just remember being, I, I was crying in and out. I was out of it. But I do remember seeing the lead detective hand the card over to whoever was sitting next to me, which was my husband, Derek. I remember him saying that it is what it looks like. It's going to be a suicide from us. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, why? I don't understand. And um, he said, can you think of anything that, why he would probably do it? I'm like, I'm trying to think. What would be this serious for him to, to end it? And not just end it, but to do it so that I can find him out there like that. And that's when I'm like, no, not Danye, not protective, overprotective Danye. He would not do it, especially so that I would find him. But why do it anyway? When everything that he had going on, why would you do it? And I remember continuing to say that. And I said, because it, it, his his business, he was downstairs just doing the... Um, the Google search, the, I, I watched him, I saw him looking at his phone at a video about his business. He had just started his business. He was so excited. And they said, could it have failed? I said, he was sitting down there. He was excited. He was talking to my brother. So he said, what was the last conversation? I said, I remember him asking me to wash his clothes because he had somewhere to go. And he was rushing me. And he seemed so excited about going somewhere. And I told him, don't rush me. I'll get it. I'll watch it. And so I remember coming up the steps. And when I saw him watching the video, I said, I'm proud of you, dude. And he said, he shook his head, yeah, and started looking back at the video. That was the last time I saw him. But the last time I saw him, I was proud. I was proud of him. His clothes were clean. He was ready to go. He was not suicidal. That's why Melissa McKinnis wants St. Louis County Police to dig deeper into her son's death. On October 17th, she found Danye hanging from this tree in their backyard with bruises on his face. McKinnis says the 24-year-old wasn't depressed and was starting a real estate business. She believes there's more to this story. McKinnis, a prominent Ferguson activist, told me she thinks her family is being targeted. In the last two months, she says they've been getting death threats through social media. The St. Louis County coroner says Danye's autopsy won't be ready for weeks, and they will not give news for any preliminary reports. St. Louis County police told us for now this remains a suicide investigation. 
Both the family and police did say there was a chair near his body. However, family members told me the sheets used to hang him did not come from their house and the knots used to tie the sheets were advanced so they don't believe Danye would have been capable of making. 11 days after his death, with Danye now laid to rest, Melissa made a tough decision. She posted to her Facebook page the photograph her brother Daniel had taken of Danye hanging from the tree. She captioned it, They lynched my baby. The post went viral, which spurred a few local news outlets to interview Melissa at her home. But most concluded that they would await the medical examiner's office and their final report on the matter. Knowing how the medical examiner was likely to find, Melissa felt she had to get out in front of it. The mother of Donye Jones held a press conference yesterday hoping police would dig further into the death of her son. Police originally ruled his death a suicide, but his mother's insisting that her son did not take his own life. Instead, she says he was murdered. A mother knows her son. A mother knows her child. Donye Dion Jones would not do that. Donye Dion Jones, full of energy, spunky, just full of spunk had a lot, a whole lot to live for, and he knew it. One by one, Danye's family members stepped up to the microphone. First, his stepfather, Derek. One thing I know about Danye, he would have never done anything remotely close to this. His uncle, Daniel. Danye Jones, and my, my niece, and my other nephew, they're the closest thing I have to my own children, because I don't have any children. He had vision. He had plans, vision, to do wholesale real estate, flipping properties. His sister, Malisha. Naye, we've been together for his whole life. His whole life. He loved us. And he wouldn't go out that way. Melissa made sure to lay out what she saw as contradictions to the suicide hypothesis that was being put out by the police. The day that it happened, he had a knot on his face. His wrists had indentations on it. Okay? His pants were rolled down, not pulled down. They were rolled down. They weren't scrubs. Weren't scrubs. They were pants. The knots and the sheets that did not come from our home were Navy knots. My son was not in any military, not a Boy Scout, none of that. Finally, Melissa tried to make it clear that they knew Danye as only family could. We're not in denial. We just know Danye. He was with us. He was goofy with us. If you ever saw him, Anything different than Goofy is because he would not open up to you and show you his Goofy side. But my son was silly. He was silly. He was happy. I know my son. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. To understand the story of Melissa and Danye, we have to go back a little over four years. On August 9th of 2014, Mike Brown Jr. was shot and killed by Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson. Witnesses said that Mike Brown's last words were, hands up, don't shoot. The killing sparked an uprising in Ferguson in the wider North St. Louis County area, with the predominantly black residents demanding justice. When later that year, a grand jury refused to indict Officer Wilson, again, people took to the streets. What you're looking at is the aftermath of the grand jury deciding not to indict Officer Wilson. You are unlawfully assembled. You need to disperse immediately or you will be subject to arrest. Do it now. This uprising in Ferguson was arguably where the wider Black Lives Matter movement was born. And Melissa was right there from day one. She was eating lunch with her younger son, Javon, when they heard the news that Mike Brown had been killed, and they rushed to Canfield Green Apartments, where a crowd was gathering. And I sped over there as if it was one of my children. And there, Mike Brown was laying on the ground. And I just looked at him and my eyes start tearing up because I start thinking about Danye and Javon, you know, and I was like, I could not imagine 
Melissa came out to the site of the protests in Ferguson day after day after day. She dedicated herself to activism, demanding police accountability for the killing of young black men. And by 2017, when protests erupted demanding that Officer Jason Stockley be held accountable for his killing of Anthony Lamar Smith, Melissa had a lot of experience under her belt, and she was seen as one of the many rising leaders in the movement. Here she is during the Jason Stockley protests, at the head of a rally of what looks to be hundreds, if not thousands of people. The crowd is motionless, waiting to begin their march, while Melissa amps them up over her bullhorn. the shutdowns for the Jason Stockley case. The real big one that we did was downtown. It was roughly around 5,000 people, and it was huge. Melissa and her fellow activists were intentionally trying to cause financial strain to the city of St. Louis, figuring it was the only leverage they had to make city leaders respond to their demands. That would hurt them more than just us being out there and just chanting. They don't care about that. But when we hit their pockets, it was more like the city was pissed. What did you hear about the numbers of, like, the economic toll? Um, seven, seventeen or, was it seventeen or twenty-one million? Twenty-two. So they were pissed off at us. So that's why I was getting the threats. The people of St. Louis who participated in the uprising that began in 2014 would quickly learn that calling the police to account was a dangerous prospect. Senate will come to order. The Senator from the 14th has requested a point of personal privilege. Senator 14th, you may proceed. Thank you, Mr. President. This morning I woke up and I found out another young man from my district um, was murdered in the same way, in the same fashion, as two or three other people who were active in Ferguson. People who were protesting on the streets to be heard. The people who have been murdered at this point were all individuals who were seen in the media. That was then Missouri State Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal on the morning of May 5th of 2017, speaking into the Missouri General Assembly record about the death of Edward Crawford Jr. Crawford became famous after a newspaper photographer took a picture of him throwing a sparking tear gas canister away from a crowd of people during the Ferguson Uprising. He was a well-liked father of four, and the image of him wearing an American flag shirt, his long braids flying behind him as he held the fiery canister, well, it became iconic. Late in the night before the morning of Representative Chappelle Nadal's speech, Crawford was shot in the backseat of a car and died. St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department told NBC News that Crawford shot himself in the back seat of a car while it was moving. That's according to two female witnesses who were seated in the front of the car. Details were few when Chappelle Nadal spoke on the floor, but it would later become clear that Crawford's sister was driving the car he was in when he shot himself in the head. But Chappelle Nadal's concerns were not unfounded. Another young man named DeAndre Joshua had been found shot in the head in the backseat of a car that someone had tried to set on fire unsuccessfully. 
St. Louis County Police said on Wednesday they were investigating the death of a black man found shot and set on fire near an area where rioting erupted after a grand jury did not indict a white policeman in the fatal shooting of a black teenager. Police said the body of 20-year-old DeAndre Joshua was discovered around 9 a.m. on Tuesday in a car parked near the Canfield Green apartment complex in the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson. Though DeAndre Joshua's family told the New York Times that he never joined in the marches for Mike Brown, both DeAndre and his brother were coincidentally childhood friends with Dorian Johnson, who was the young man walking with Mike Brown Jr. when he was killed. Then another young man was shot and killed, his body placed in the backseat of his car, that this time was successfully set ablaze. His name was Darren Seals, and he was found murdered on September 6th of 2016. Seals wasn't so much a protester as a budding revolutionary. Here he is in a video that he made of himself. He's speaking about the up-and-coming Black Lives Matter movement and how it's detracting energy away from Ferguson. The Black Lives Matter shit is blowing up. And if you notice, as it's blowing up, you're not hearing about Mike Brown anymore. You're not hearing about Darren Wilson anymore. You're not hearing about the, uh, you know, the Ferguson Police Department anymore. We're not hearing about none of this corrupt shit by McCullough and Jay Nixon. You're not hearing about none of this shit no more. All you're hearing about is Black Lives Matter now. They took the energy away from Ferguson. They still not shit. They still not shine. A lot of cats went to jail for us to be the main topic in the media. A lot of cats risked their life. Spook got shot in the head. She could she could be dead right now. You know what I mean? A lot of shit happened for this shit to, to grow into what it became. There was an opportunity to really fight back and really make a change in Ferguson and Missouri as a whole. But as you see, now they on to the next city, then the next city, then the next city, then the next city, being superstars off our shit we created here while we sitting back still like them. And I know the police was targeting them because they was kicking their ass. They was never not kicking their ass. The only time she wasn't kicking ass is between the raindrops. That's the only break she gave. This is longtime St. Louis activist Anthony Shahid describing to us how both Melissa and Darren Seals were powerful organizers and how he believes this made them targets of police reprisal and maybe worse. This sister was on the front line. She stayed on the front line. She was never not on the front line. Those people, they would have did anything to try to take the steam out of Sister Melissa. And how can you take the steam out of anybody? And she started talking about how these people heard gun shields, how the police kept on fucking with them. In March of 2016, six months before his death, Darren participated in a protest at Donald Trump's St. Louis campaign rally. After he left, he was pulled over by the police. Ultimately, about eight or nine police officers swarmed around his vehicle, in which Darren was driving with his younger brother. A bystander filmed the incident on his cell phone. So I'm out here and I guess it's considered Ferguson right off of West Florissant and they got one, two, three, four, five police, like five, six. Hand jump out boys. Hand jump out boys. But the young dude over there is actually one of the Ferguson processes that they got. When the police finally release Darren, he comes over and speaks with the man who filmed the incident. So we, we turned in some paperwork for my mother. She's in the hospital right now. As I'm pulling off, I get pulled over right here. They pull out, point the guns at me. 
They point the whole. They pointed guns on me and my and my 14 year old little brother. It's Ferguson PD. They run up to the car. They pull them out. Grab me by my hair. Slam me out the car. Put me in cuffs. Search my car illegally without my permission. They say, did you go to the Trump rally? I said, yeah. He said, you post some shit about Trump on Facebook. I said, yeah. I said, what's that illegal now? He said, no, that's, that's nothing wrong with that. But you might want to you, you might want to pick your enemies better. Threats were apparently common amongst Ferguson activists. So Darren Seals was at that Trump rally as well. Yeah. And he was pulled over leaving that Trump yeah. rally. And someone happened to film that. And then he basically said that one of the cops told him that he better be careful who he makes his enemies. And that's exactly what they said to us. Like, you better be careful. You better choose your, your fights, your battles. So I'm like, yeah, you better choose your battles wisely. You, 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 play, in a, you play in a daily game. Yeah. And it was like, whatever. I can remember her calling me after rallies, and she's like, sis, like, they are really, like, threatening me. This is Melissa's sister, Toya. She can recall many times in which Melissa told her people were threatening her anonymously. Okay, so we have a weird thing. Like, we laugh at things that shouldn't be laughed at. So, of course, you know, I'm laughing like, wait, who you got after you? And she was like, no, they're, like, sending me messages talking about, um... I was right behind you. You, you're just that easy to get. Or who was sending you this? Oh, oh yeah. Like I would get messages like that. And the one that really stuck out was, "You're not hard to get." I was. We was right behind you at the rally at the march. You know. And sometimes the threats came in more ominous ways. Twitter picture. It's something that we didn't even think that somebody would take the audacity to do. The voice you're hearing is that of Dante Carter. He, too, was an activist in Ferguson. Waking up in the morning, I heard peacefully protesting. And you see a rope tied up like it's ready to hang these niggas. And, and it really, it, it did something to us that we can't even explain. That's why we took the picture, let the world know what's going on. What Dante is describing here is that on the morning of August 31st of 2014, outside one of the activist tent encampments on Florissant Avenue, someone had left a noose for them to find. They posted a picture of it on Twitter. If you look at it, it's very clearly and specifically a hangman's noose, tied with some rough twine. We didn't even heard that people on Twitter like hang them niggas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we're waking up and seeing, and there's nothing but police officers riding them through her. Even before, I guess, even, even before this incident happened. So we took it upon ourselves to show the world what's going on, mm-hmm. how it really is. We got inducted into the situation by flat out being at war with the police. Like, there's no way to, to water that one down. So we really don't have much of a benefit of a doubt. Like, you know, like like anything we say is going to be contested by mainstream society because they think we're crazy. This is Tef Poe. He's a rapper and activist from St. Louis, a one-time Harvard fellow who today runs the Boycott Times. And he also happens to be Melissa's cousin. We asked him to describe for us what life was like in North St. Louis County for black people. It is a known fact in St. Louis that that area is notorious for fucked up policing. We grow up telling each other like, yo, if you live in the county after nine o'clock, I'm not coming to get you. At the end of the night, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, how many people we got with us? Four or five of us? Fuck that. We're not getting somebody sleeping on somebody's couch, bro. I'll take you home in the morning. I ain't driving through the county at night. 
And if and if I do drive through the county, it's going to be two people in my car. I'm not riding. I'm not riding five deep. Four four or five black dudes in a car driving through North County, bro. We're getting pulled over. Period. My brother got shot on Christmas Eve in Ferguson, leaving my mom's crib. My brother's laying there bleeding out on the parking lot, and he has to hear cops stepping over him and, you know, dropping N-bombs, calling, you know, filthy niggers. All they do is shoot each other. Uh, you know, who gives a fuck if he dies? He He's sitting here gasping his for his final breath, possibly, and they're asking him, who shot you? You know who shot you, you know? And that's just how we get treated, man. That's just how we get treated. Tef is younger than Melissa and older than Donye. But he did know Donye and told us a bit about what he was like. He wasn't really a, a, a negative person. He was always kind of smiling. He was always on the go. Uh, he was a person that was doing things. And he had a very bright energy. He, he wasn't a, a part of, like, anything drastically negative. Uh, Donye wasn't that type of person. I didn't expect to never see him again. I, when I did see him, I didn't see him in transit doing things where I would have to be like, yo, I'm going to have to report back to his mom finding him in the backyard hung up, I will say that's the strangest way that you could commit suicide. The whole situation is a bunch of I don't knows. And, th- and that's why even with this situation, more so than a lot of the other situations where people are saying folks have mysteriously been killed, with Donye hanging yourself in your backyard for a young kid is a weird way for them to commit suicide, man. Tying yourself up with a sheet and a chair, I mean... That's that's stuff people do in jail, bro, when they when they know they about to face life. You know what I'm saying? Life in North County and his experience as an activist left Tef feeling that the police wouldn't reliably look into the death of his cousin. Similar to when Darren Seals was, was killed, they didn't really do an investigation. They're not going to really do an investigation. With this situation, I'm not saying that it did, did or didn't happen. I'm saying that on Donye, I'll say it very candidly, knowing that this will make me a target, seeing this coming out of my mouth. The police here, they're not going to investigate, adequately investigate the deaths of any prominent activists or anybody attached to those activists. I do feel like when you start to turn the, the, the pages on the local police, you may find some things. I feel like if there's something to be discovered, I would not be surprised whatsoever if the police have uh, their dirty paws all over this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hello, this is Ray. Hello. Hi, thanks for the call back. We reached out to Melissa in December of 2018, two months after Danye died, hoping to pitch her on the idea of a long-form investigative podcast that could potentially uncover new information about the death of her son. And I remember you guys um, sending a message. Well, at the time, I was getting so many emails and messages and all that mess. And then I didn't know who to trust because I wasn't trusting nobody. It's good that we can talk about it now, but at that time I was just, I was in a very, very bad headspace about everybody that I came in contact with, you know. John and I both had experience working as writers, researchers, and documentary filmmakers. When we saw what happened to Danye and that Melissa was making a call out, wanting people to help her draw attention to the situation, we figured we'd get in touch. When she called us back, I was at a gas station. Our goal is to, to, to make a podcast that will spend like a deep amount of time exploring what happened with your son. This probably needs a couple people who have a little bit of investigative skills who know how to, like, who will actually spend some time. I don't know how you feel about what I just said, but... Um, um, sure, I guess we can work on it. You know, those people that were sitting outdoors, sitting outside our home, and it wasn't t- taken into consideration um, that man, he had been threatened before because he had the brick um, by his bed, mm. like he was waiting for somebody. A lot of people keep asking, why did I take his picture? Um, and I didn't take his picture. My brother did. A question that people ask all the time, you know, um, why did I put it out? Which I don't even understand why they don't understand. Well, it's because if I hadn't put it out, it would have been just like um, all of the others, something that, oh, wow, that's horrible. Dang, that happened, another person. And then now that's it. I just know that the one detective that gave us his, his business card when he left, the one with the black eye, did not give us his business card. Gave us um, a card for um, the airport police. That's the one that, that gave us the most problems. I don't want to say too much. And I was told not to talk about a lot of things over the phone. So. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. No take problem. care. 
Alright, bye. Wow. Melissa was interested in talking, but not on her phone. We asked if she would be more comfortable if we sent her a burner phone, and she said yes. We shipped one off to her and waited. In the meantime, the St. Louis County Medical Examiner's report on Danye's death was released and found just as Melissa suspected it would that Danye had died by suicide. We called the St. Louis County Police for a comment. Hey, it's Sergeant McGuire, St. Louis County Police. Hi, thank you so much for getting back to me. No problem. So what's going on? This is Sergeant Sean McGuire, who was then a spokesman for County PD. It's still an active investigation for us, but we've but we've been ever since the start of this, and our detectives with crimes against persons, you know, where they they're the ones that were called to the scene. Um, all signs right off the bat pointed that this was a suicide, so it kind of remained that as the investigation continued, as the investigation even proceeded from there. Um, after they talked to family and friends and physical evidence at the scene, and, and now even the medical examiner's report's been released. Um, obviously, that's a big part of our case as well. Um, but but it's one of those things that it never really lost focus on it being a suicide. And we were pretty straightforward on uh, ever since the beginning on that, when when his mother was out on social media. And, and that's the thing here about, too, John. I mean, we, we're, we're not really releasing too much of this is why it's a suicide and, you know, this is what we have and this is what we found out about Danye and that type of stuff because it doesn't really help anybody. You know, we understand that his family and friends are, are going through a rough time, especially, you know, weeks after after this kind of breaks and she's, you know, going to social media and trying to say that, you know, people murdered her son and, and that type of stuff. And, you know, we, we just, we never get into those kind of engagements with a victim's uh, family. We're not going to be, we don't win anything on that. We know what the facts of the case are. We know, you know, what detectives are investigating and what they saw and, and, and who they talked to and, and the medical examiner's report and all that type of stuff. So we, we never are ever going to go out there and say, well, you know, Danye's mom is wrong. Now, at this moment, our, you know, with the medical examiner's report being released, that helps with our investigation. So now it's more, uh, more or less of pretty much completing the paperwork. And once that paperwork is done, you'll be able to request a copy. It's just, it's still active right now. How, about how long do you think it'll be until it's closed and the report becomes available? I talked to the lieutenant in that, and, and he said it's more or less, it could be a week down the road, it could be a month down the road. He doesn't really know. I don't really have a good time frame for you. I'm not saying that Danye isn't important to us, but it's one of those things that I'm just having time to finish up their report, um, you know, and, uh, administratively. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Sergeant McGuire seemed very confident that the medical examiner's office had gotten it right. And his statement makes it seem like a lot of people who had the lowdown on Danye's life and mental state had spoken with the police. And that these conversations gave detectives confidence in their suicide hypothesis. He made it seem like it would all be laid bare in a few short weeks when the police issued their final report on the matter. I did want to ask about one more thing, though. She claims that in the uh, time leading up to his death that there were, like, threats against her family or that there were, like, menacing people who'd been around her home. Was that at all looked at? Um, I, I believe that was looked at eventually. She did not report that stuff uh, immediately to detectives. As part of their initial investigation, they didn't know anything about that. And as time went on, when she, she had the public Facebook post and kind of told Facebook instead of us, um, you know, that's, that's when obviously detectives were interested in talking to her about that, but it was definitely looked into uh, eventually. 
the only way that I would hear Danye's voice is if I would make myself hear him. You know, that I would not hear him say, Ma, or hear him laughing downstairs, you know, because he would be down there watching TV and I hear his crazy laugh. But sometimes I could see him in the kitchen talking to Dad. But sometimes I could hear, see him on the red chase with his feet, his long legs, and his feet hanging over. That was his favorite seat in the house, was the red chase. And he would sit in that chase, and when he talked, he, he, he had this very, very deep voice. And I would hear. Sometimes I would hear him and Malisha and Javon with their inside jokes. And they all be just giggling and laughing so hard. And I'm just sitting there like, I want to laugh. But they didn't want to say certain things because it probably was dirty. Yeah. But I can always hear them laughing. And so, like, it's not that I'm in denial. It's not that we're in denial. My son was just at a place in his life that he was more excited than I've ever seen him. He had something that he really was looking forward to. Just watch. I'm going to take care of you, Mom. Tell me I, I didn't have to go back to work. So I quit. <laughs> and he said, um, I got you. And I believe him. We knew if we wanted to help figure out what had happened to Danye, we would have to start digging. We needed to pour over the details of the medical examiners and the police department's investigations to know what they did and did not take into account. We didn't know what we would find, and the only thing we promised to do was to give Melissa the benefit of the doubt, to not look at her as though she were crazy or that she was in denial, but to give real consideration to at least the possibility that Danye didn't die by suicide. From what we could tell, that's what she never got from the investigators a little benefit of the doubt. Someone who would look at Danye's death and keep in mind the context. The context of history, that of violence against black people in our country in general, and that of Melissa personally and the world she lived in. That's next time on After the Uprising. After the Uprising is directed, produced, investigated, written, and reported by myself, Rayno Vyshelsky, and John Duffy. John Duffy was also the editor. Dave Cassidy was producer. Sound engineering, design, and mix by Josh Condon. Executive producers were Matt McDonough and Tina Xeros for Now This. Brett Kushner for Group 9 Media. And Jess Borave was executive in charge of production. Jonathan Hartwig and Bradley Rayford were consulting producers. Eliza Craig was assistant producer and did additional reporting. Mallory Kenoy was a writer's assistant. Kristen McVicker and Taya Wilson were production assistants. And Haley Klesmer was a post-production assistant. Fact-checking by Allison Humes. Theme song and other music by Zachary Walter. Legal by Keith Sklar and Peter Yazzie. 
Special thanks to Ann Frado, Danny Gonzalez, Barbara Koppel, Alex Lester, Bethann Macaluso, Emily Marinoff, Ruth Vaca, and the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. After the Uprising is a production of Double Asterisk, iHeartMedia, and Now This in association with True Stories. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have useful information about the death of Donye Jones or anything we've covered, please leave a message on our tip line at 347-674-7401. I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.